everybody. This is Encuentro. Um, I'm doing the uh, gospel reading for tomorrow. It's a, a special day. It's a Sunday of the Lord's Transfiguration. So instead of uh, reflecting on the gospel reading for today, Saturday, uh, I'd like to do the one for tomorrow, for tomorrow's Mass. Let's begin with the prayer of St. Francis. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, make me a means of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Divine Master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled, but to console. Not so much to be understood, but to understand. Not so much to be loved, but to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in forgiving that we are forgiven, and it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. <coughs> now somebody was asking me a few days ago uh, why I don't find a, a room maybe or a place where you know I can shut out all the, the noise on the street. You know, ever since I've done Encuentro, you know, the podcast, uh, in 2021, when I first came back, uh, you know, th th there's always been the noise from the street, you know, when I was living, uh, staying at the bishop's house in Cubao, you know, uh, our rooms are right there, you know, above the street, and there's there's uh, cars and jeepneys and tricycles, uh, you know, uh, passing by, and now it's the same thing. And, uh, well, there's something to be said about, you know, maybe finding a place that's actually quiet, you know, give the podcast a little more professional quality. I actually kind of like this. You know why? Because, because this is, this is my life. This is our life as priests, you know, um, we're not always there immersed in the people, but the fact is that, you know, we, we live the way they do, you know, uh, we hear what they hear. We see what they see. Uh, here where I live right now, uh, you know, same thing with all of us priests here at the parish. You know, there, there's tricycles that, uh, that pass by and jeepneys and all times of the day or night. And uh, I haven't only uh, learned to live with them. I, I actually, it's, believe it or not, there's something soothing, actually, to all the noise. And so... Uh, it's it's been nice you know it's been nice it it uh kind of tells me that you know what we do what i do uh these reflections even that i share they're they're not detached from the reality of ordinary everyday life um but anyway let's let's go to the uh, gospel reading for tomorrow uh it's taken from matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9 there is of course you know uh the version that you find as well in in uh in saint luke in which will touch upon it in a little bit Jesus took Peter James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them conversing with him then Peter said to Jesus in reply Lord it is good that we are here if you wish I will make three tents here one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And from the cloud came a voice. 
that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said to them, Rise, do, do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You know, in, 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 in Judaism, you know, the figures of Moses and Elijah, of course, you know, uh, they stand for the heights, the pinnacle of, of Jewish uh, thought, the Jewish religion. Moses, you know, the greatest of all the lawgivers, you know, the one who was supremely and uniquely uh, chosen by God, you know, to bring his law uh, to Israel. And Elijah, of course, is considered the greatest of all the prophets, you know. Uh, it was in him that, that God spoke uh, to his people with, with, uh, with unique uh, directness. So Moses and Elijah, who appeared, you know, with Jesus uh, in the Mountain of Transfiguration, they, they represent the summit of uh, the history of Israel, you know, uh, especially the religious history. So it's, it's as if the greatest figures in, 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 in Jewish history, you know, came to Jesus, you know, as he was setting out on what was going to be the, the final leg, if you will, of his great adventure, you know, into the unknown. Uh, in in St. Luke, you know, the version says that they, they spoke to him about his, you know, his, his destination, you know, his path forward. Uh, in Moses and Elijah, you know, uh, it was as if all of Israel's history recognized Jesus as as its, its pinnacle, its consummation, you know. Uh, and in a way, their appearance was signal for Jesus, you know, that what he was doing was, was right and, and he was to go on. You know, it was the signal that what he did and what he was about to do was uh, according to the Father's will. Um, there's more than that. You know, not only did the greatest lawgiver and the greatest prophet assure Jesus that what he was doing was right, that the Father was pleased with what he was doing, and the Father himself said it. Um, the very voice of God telling him that he was on the right path, you know, uh, and the Gospel writer speaks about the cloud that overshadowed them. You know, I've always been fascinated by that idea, you know, the cloud, God speaking in the cloud. In the Exodus, of course, you know, we know that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that guarded, you know, guided uh, Israel as they made their way across the desert and into the promised land. You know, that luminous cloud that always stood for this, this amazing presence of, of God's glory. You know? um, but 
rather than focus on Moses or Elijah, you know, or um, or Peter's words, you know, telling Jesus they should build a tent or saying to Jesus he would like to build a tent, or even focusing on Jesus himself. Although, at the end of the day, the, the focus really of the, the gospel reading and, and this reflection even is Jesus. But I would like to focus on the words that the Father spoke. The words He spoke about His Son. Words that are ultimately directed, you know, towards Him, towards His Son. Towards the work that He has done, the obedience that He, has, he had shown the Father, and the sacrifice that He was about to make in order to accomplish what the Father had sent Him to do. God says, you know, the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. During my many years of teaching seminarians, young college students, and recently, you know, even high school students in seminary, the first time I actually got to teach high school. But in my 25 years, actually a little more, but let's just say 25, 25 years of teaching young people, there's one thing okay, that I have learned as a teacher. I sometimes forget it, especially at difficult moments, but it is a lesson that I myself have uh, had to learn over and over again. I'm still learning it. What is that? Affirmation, affirmation works more than critique. Let me repeat that. Affirmation works more than critique. And to borrow a, a, a term from psychology, you know, positive reinforcement works more than punishment. Positive reinforcement works more than punishment. I'm not saying that, you know, God is, you know, simply psychologically positively reinforcing Jesus. No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, there's profound uh, theological meaning to uh, the words that we find in Scripture. But that doesn't mean that we can draw okay, certain important lessons from it for our ordinary everyday life. You know, affirmation works more than critique. It works better than critique. Does that mean that punishment and critique are unimportant? I mean, I critique. I We check test papers as teachers, you know. Uh, there are consequences to certain actions of students. You know, I was the prefect of discipline uh, at one point in seminary. And at some point, you just have to... Uh, call students out when they've done something wrong and make them responsible for their actions. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that punishment and critique are unimportant. Absolutely not. You know, even the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah. But here is where sometimes those in authority, I'm not just talking about parents here, I'm talking about bosses, managers, supervisors, you know, superiors, etc. Sometimes... You know, uh, we who are in authority tend to forget the meaning and the purpose of the rod. 
you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, but you mustn't forget what the rod means. You know, in Psalm 23, where God is portrayed as a shepherd, there's a very curious line. And the line goes, Your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. Your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. The shepherd's rod, the shepherd's staff, is meant to protect, not harm, and never hurt, you know. They're meant to protect, not to harm, and never to hurt. And if it is somehow used as an instrument of punishment, that punishment is not done for punishment's sake. St. Augustine says it's done to correct and ultimately, it is done to love. You know? The rod that is used uh, to discipline is meant as a symbol and a sign of protection and ultimately of love. You know, once I was at a meeting uh, with a group of people, uh, this was many years ago, you know, and, and you know, of course, we're all supervisors, if you will, you know, uh, teachers, uh, superiors, and we were talking about those that we were supervising. Um, at one point, at one point, um, one of these individuals, you know, at the meeting says, well, what do you expect, you know, he's an idiot. I was I was taken aback by that line, and really I, I was saddened, you know, with what I heard. You know, we may not like those we supervise, we may have difficulties and even serious challenges with those we govern, we may have experiences of frustration and disappointment with with those that we teach, you know, students that we guide and form. Sometimes you know we we have challenges, maybe very serious ones with with their kids. But we don't call them that. Not even if they are the most difficult, most stubborn, most weak person that, you know, we're in charge of or teaching or guiding. You know, I remember when I heard uh, that, that statement, I, I, just, I just closed my eyes and I bit my tongue for fear that I'd say something even worse. You know? about the person speaking. So I just consoled myself, and it's probably true. He probably spoke out of extreme frustration. You know, he was very upset. And he was most likely very upset because, you know, he he wanted the best for the person that he was supervising. Um, still, you know, no matter how upset we are, frustrated we are, uh, uh, with those that we teach, that we govern, that we supervise, that we care for, that we guide, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we must avoid, you know, calling them, uh, using those terms, you know, uh, about them. God is mercy. You know, Pope Francis never tires of reminding us, God is mercy. God is love, Scripture tells us. 
And St. Augustine says in the Confessions, you know, God loves you as if you were the only one to love. And of course, Jesus says, your Heavenly Father cares for you and you are worth more than sparrows. We need to be able to affirm the good that people do. You know? To be able to praise them and say to them, I appreciate what you've done. You know, critique is necessary, of course, you know, because that's also necessary for growth. And, and if we love a person, okay, that's why, you know, I also tell my students, you know, be careful with the persons that you consider your friends. You know, the prophets were tremendous critics. You know, people who just pour honey into our ears are not necessarily our friends. So I'm not talking about, you know, affirmation in the sense of, you know, uh, telling people what they want to hear, no, or being yes men or pouring honey into the ears of people, no. Talking about honest affirmation, sincere affirmation, just like, you know, we give sincere and honest critique. But even critique cannot be critique for the sake of critique. You know, what is the point of criticizing if it were done simply for the sake of criticizing? I mean, I, you know, there, there are critics, of course, food, art, etc. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, teachers, for example, okay, supervisors, bosses, pastors, you know. Uh, leaders in the faith community. When we critique for the sake of critique, it, it pulls the person down. But it also pulls the person criticizing down. In the end, it pulls everybody down. Everything. And we need not be bashful about the praise and the affirmation that we give people, you know. Instead, we need to be generous with it. Without our praise and affirmation being shallow and, con and contrived, you know, think about it. Affirmation can be done for affirmation's sake. That's a difference between affirmation and critique. Critique, you can't do it for criticism's sake. Otherwise, you end up in a, in a, in a, in a negative spiral and it becomes counterproductive. It doesn't accomplish anything. Except maybe to, to make enemies, you know. And so it spreads negativity. When we affirm for the sake of affirming, we are actually affirming not just the person we're praising or affirming. Ultimately, it comes back to us. It raises us up. It makes us feel, makes us feel good about ourselves and, and about them and about whatever it is we are praising. You know, it creates a, a positivity in both of us. And that affects the work that we do and it radiates towards all of those around us you know <clears throat> i'm not talking pop psychology here you know uh i'm not talking self-help uh no I'm, I'm talking about that that basic disposition you know to be able to see good in things and the word for that is grace to be able to affirm grace when we see it. Because that's what it is. To be able to recognize it. Why? You know, uh, Henry Cardinal Newman, 
Saint Henry Cardinal John Henry Cardinal Newman, his uh, his Episcopal motto was "Heart speaks to heart," you know, "Cor ad cor loquitur." A heart that recognizes grace is a heart that itself is filled with grace. When we affirm another sincerely, honestly, truthfully, and joyfully, when we affirm the good in the other, you know what? You know what allows us to make that affirmation? What allows us to make that affirmation is the good that is also in us. Because we we feel affirmed, we feel loved, we feel secure, and that's also something that we need to remember. An insecure heart will not affirm. A heart that does not feel loved will have a lot of difficulty affirming and loving. You know, I've, I've met persons and I've been in circumstances and places where, where there's this negativity that's like a black hole that sucks everything in. You know, we call, the, we call places like that toxic, you know, and, and there's poison that spreads all around. I mean, work will still be done. Relationships will still continue. Some persons will still get ahead, but the cost, the emotional, psychological, intellectual, and spiritual cost is too high. You know, the damage that an environment like that causes to the interior life is immense. And it grows. At the same time, I've encountered persons, situations, circumstances, and settings that are positive, that are bright, you know, not superficially happy, but genuinely joy-filled. And it affects everyone. <clears throat> and it affects everyone in a way that doesn't just sit there. It affects everyone in a way that pushes them forward. You know, uh, I had mentioned the, the version in the Gospel of Luke earlier. In Luke 9.31, you know, uh, St. Luke says that Moses and Elijah are speaking to Jesus about his departure. You know, departure. And the word that St. Luke uses okay, for departure is exodon. The same term from which exodus comes from. You know, the word exodus has one very special connection. You know, it, it's a word that's always used for the departure of the people of Israel out of out of Egypt into the unknown into the desert that is eventually going to lead them to the promised land okay. the word exodus you know is a word that describes what we might call Israel's greatest journey in its history you know a journey that was characterized by the unknown you know and entering into the unknown but also a journey that was characterized by this utter trust, this profound confidence and trust in God. And, and that, is, that was precisely what Jesus was about to do, you know. He was entering into this stage of his journey where he simply has to surrender himself to the Father, and he does. You know, at Gethsemane, Jesus says to the Father, you know, your, your will be done. And he is led to the cross. But not just to the cross, he is led to glory. 
And so the father offers Jesus, his son, the greatest affirmation that he can give, strengthening him for the road ahead. It was as if the father was saying to Jesus, you can do it. You can do it. I affirm you. I am pleased with what you do. Go. You can do it. You know, those words, you can do it, trust yourself, they're perhaps some of the greatest words after I love you that a parent can say to his or her child. It's the greatest bequest and legacy that a parent can leave behind because it sets his or her child on such a tremendous and positive footing for the adventure of life that lies ahead. Parents need to affirm their children. Bosses need to affirm their subordinates. We priests need to affirm the people we work with. We need to affirm one another. All of us do. And not in a superficial or shallow way, but sincerely, meaningfully, and, and truthfully. When we affirm the good that we find in another, at the end of the day, we are affirming the good that we have in ourselves. When we recognize goodness and grace in another, what allows us to do that is the goodness and grace that already dwells within us. When we affirm the good we find in another, at the end of the day, we are affirming the good that we have in ourselves. Because that affirmation of another is rooted in the affirmation that we have deep inside. And like I said, that's not shallow or superficial self-help pop psychology. That is the truth. We find it in Scripture itself. And that truth finds its ultimate root in the overflowing abundance of God, the Creator, who each time he sees what he created, says in the book of Genesis, again and again, he sees what he has created and says, it is good. Say.